All right, everybody. Welcome to Mental Health Comedy. My name is Ed Krasnick. You are going to have an experience. It's like a Civil War letter, but of emotion. Get ready for another wonderful show on today's program, along with Jennifer Kalari and myself. We have an old friend, just a brilliant, brilliant comedian, great person, one of the most creative people, one of the best writers, certainly, and uh, one, of the, one of the best stand-ups ever, Wendy Liebman. We're going to say hello to Wendy. We're going to talk to her uh, about her life. We have her chart in front of us, so everything's going to be good. Along with Jennifer, now I'm lucky because Jennifer Kalari has, a, has an organization called ConnectedParenting.com, and she is a child and family therapist. So I'm the before and she's the after, and Wendy is probably more like Jennifer or in the middle. So it's going to be a nice trio right now. I have an emotional resume that's a mile long for the 90s, completely depressed. And that was it. That's all that's on my resume. But we've transcended that now. Started to look into mental health practice as a practice. Never knew this growing up. Never knew that you could actually practice skills and you can, and that's a lot of what we talk about on the show. Sit back, relax, fasten your seatbelts, put your airbag on. We always have a sponsor, and we always like to do emotional shout-outs to welcome in people who may be listening, who are in different states of mind, have different situations, of course, the world going through a huge crisis right now. But these are emotional shout-outs for today, and today we're doing it with song lyrics. If tramps like you were born to run from your feelings welcome. If you've seen fire and rain, but sunny days, not so much, welcome. If you've got one hand in your pocket and the other one is reaching for Zoloft, welcome. If you've got ground control to major anxiety, welcome. If you're not throwing away your shot at selling Amazon products online, welcome. If you're being followed by your own shadow, welcome. If you missed getting on the peace train, welcome. If you can't stop the feeling but you wish you could, welcome. And if your uptown funk has you rolling in the deep, welcome. There's always a place for you right here on Mental Health Comedy. Now today's show, the sponsor, another new one, really interesting. Today's sponsor is Sanitonin. Sanitonin is the new serotonin infused hand sanitizer. Yes, if your mood elevator isn't going all the way to the top, Sanitonin can help you rinse up and come clean. It's also scented and edible for your convenience. It comes in Lexapro Lemon, Prozac Punch, and Strawberry Selexa. Sanitonin, it's brainwash for your hands. Now, Jennifer, we were just talking earlier, and, and I have to we'll bring this up again. We talk about using imagination, mm-hmm. using that as a way to sort of train your mind to think about what you want as opposed to what you don't want. And this can be applied to your thoughts. It can actually turn you around, turn your emotions around, turn your thoughts around. Can you explain about that and how you came into that and and what you do with people that you see, how you work on that? Yeah, I can. Listen, like anything that's worth doing, though, it takes practice, which is why Ed, you keep saying this in all of our shows, and I think it's so important. This is something that you have to be really diligent about, and you really, it, it really means taking control of your thoughts and being in charge of the direction that they go in. So most of us have what's called a negativity bias. We're always looking for what's going to go wrong, oh, this is what I have to do today, and we, you know, we were in a mood yesterday, and we wake up in the same mood today, and we get kind of stuck almost in a brain firing, in a, in a patterning of, of really negatively looking at things, and constantly looking at what's not working, what isn't right, and what's missing. And when we do that, our biochemistry starts to manage that. It starts to match it. And so how we feel and what we think about literally becomes um, the mirror of our life. What we see in our outside world is pretty much a mirror of what we're focusing on and thinking about. And so as crazy as this sounds, when you learn how to control the direction of your brain and what you think about, you will start to change what you see. And that can be argued on a quantum physics level, or you can just literally argue it on, um, you know, just in, based on what you're paying attention to. So if you, if you do a little experiment right now, so everyone who's listening can kind of do this. If you, if you look around the room and you try to find everything that's red, just you know, find anything red that pops out. Just take a look at it, register it, try to remember it, and then close your eyes and try to think about anything that was blue. 
you're gonna have a hard time thinking about what was blue because your brain was focused on what's red. And there's something in the brain called the reticular activation system whose job it is to pay attention to things that you have targeted, to, to pay attention to things that you have tagged, just like Google. But essentially that's how life works. So if you are tagging all the things that go wrong, all the people who aren't nice, everybody who doesn't thank you, all the stuff you have to do and nobody else helps you, and how many times you get ignored, and how many times, what's not in your bank account, and if that's what you're tagging all day long, then that's what your brain, the reticular activation system is gonna tag and bring into your awareness. So what really is important to understand here is that we have so much more power than we think we do, because in any situation, you can find a more positive spin to it, always. There's just always another way to look at something. And do you, do you uh, say that to yourself, like in the moment, like I've found myself this past week, especially doing a lot of future thinking mm -hmm. and experiencing a lot of anxiety because of it. I was headed in a really good direction and now I feel like I'm projecting what I don't want to happen in the future. Well, and so this, this can, I don't want people to be scared. They go, every, every, every negative thing I think is going to make a negative thing happen. It, it doesn't work that way. It's just what your brain is paying attention to and what you're experiencing. When you are anxious, you are projecting yourself into a future event and living it. And the midbrain, the part of the brain that's responsible for a fight or flight, can't tell the difference between it actually happening and you imagining it happening. It's exactly the same thing to your body. So cortisol is pumping through your body, adrenaline is pumping through your body, your immune system is being depressed, right? It's, it's not even that healthy for you. So here's the thing. You think of your brain like a, like a car that you're driving. If, you, if you're driving along and you realize you miss your turn, you wouldn't go, oh my gosh, and just like spin the wheel around, you'll flip your car. You gently figure out, okay, I'm going to change lanes and then I'm going to take a different way and then I'm going to reach and I'm going to you know, get myself back where I, where I need to be, right? You don't, you don't jerk the wheel. So you gently notice, you know what, I've been spending some time worrying today. Can I take five seconds? Can I take it 10 seconds and think about something that's going okay? Something that feels nice, something that looks beautiful, the sound of a bird. It doesn't matter what it is, just something neutral. And practice thinking about that and staying with it just for a little while. And then your brain will take over. What are you doing thinking about birds? You should be thinking about this virus and you should be thinking. Your brain's going to grab you back because it thinks you're in danger because you've inserted yourself into this future event. And this is the complicated part. The brain is set up to react if something's about to jump at you, leap at you, attack you. A lot of things that we worry about, including the virus, is out there somewhere. And there's nothing immediately that you can do about it, especially if you're home, just worrying about it. So you take control of that wheel and you decide, what am I going to focus on? And you're literally wrestling with the wheel all day long. And the more you focus on neutral things, positive things, pleasant things, the more you stay in the now, but actually feel the good feeling that goes with it, whatever you can find in the now. It could be the taste of your coffee. It could be just some fresh air, a nice breeze blowing in. Just be present in that moment. You're going to change your biochemistry just for that second. And the more you do it, the more you train your brain, the more you'll be able to stay there. And the longer and longer periods you'll be able to stay there for. And part of it is really using your imagination. So Ed, we, we've talked about this before, that there are, there are ways to kind of practice imagining a situation that you would really like, imagining yourself, you know, in the future or on a trip or I don't know, whatever it is that you want to have happen and really strengthen your imagination. So you're seeing it, you're feeling it, you're tasting it, you're touching it. You make it so real that the limbic system thinks it's happening, changes your biochemistry and starts to attract now different events into your life, or at least tag different events in your life. So you've actually talked about this with people, like if you're having difficult relationships, if someone isn't well, you can actually practice seeing them as well. And you can practice seeing the person that you're fighting with or having an argument with or having a difficulty communicating with. You can see it going well and you can see things going well for them. And this is not about lying to yourself. It's not about being Pollyannish. It's literally about what you're thinking inside. And the worst thing that could possibly happen to you when you're doing this activity, you feel better. You feel better. You take a vacation from it. So, you know, a really good example, let's say you're at work and you have a really difficult colleague or even boss. And normally what most of us do is we drive home or we're at home and we're having all of these imaginary conversations, what we'd really like to say to that boss. And we're 
focused on that all the time. And remember, the brain doesn't know what's real and not real. So it literally thinks you're fighting with this person all, all day long. Take that energy and do the opposite. Imagine your boss going, oh, thank you. Like, that was amazing. Really good work. Oh, I like how you did that. Oh, you look nice today or whatever. Like, just imagine it going completely differently and feel the feeling that you would feel if that was happening. The relief, the comfort, the ease. What you're going to be doing is you're going to be biochemically changing your body. So you're not in fight or flight as soon as you see that boss anymore, right? So you're going to literally change what's going on in your head, what micro expressions are on your face. And you're going to attract just because of that, a different version of that person. I've done this over and over and over again with clients. It's, it's really incredibly powerful. It's just, it sounds so stupid. <laughs> it really does. The mind is very powerful and it constructs our reality. It decides what we focus on. It decides what context we're going to give things, what perspective we're going to give things. And then we respond in kind, which also brings out the worst in the person that we're not liking very much. So for the people who like to control everything and who worry all the time, it's actually using that same strategy, but for good. Yeah, that's good news for a lot of people, including, including myself. If fight or flight could be converted to frequent flyer miles, <laughs> yeah, I'd be eligible for a free trip to Pluto. There's no question about this. If Pluto is even a planet anymore. Well, you're listening to Mental Health Comedy with Jennifer Kalari and Ed Krasnick. And right now, our special guest today, this woman has been on every show you can imagine. Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, anybody named Jimmy. And The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which is, you know, an incredible thing. Letterman many times. And was on The Larry Sanders Show, one of the best shows. And was on America's Got Talent. She's been everywhere. And her special... Taller on TV can be seen on Amazon Prime. So, Wendy Liebman. Wendy, first of all, hello. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you know what I have to say. First of all, how are you today? Like, what's how are you feeling? Well, I wish I had met Jennifer 45 years ago when <laughs> yeah, I started exactly. therapy. Yeah. Um, I'm only seeing blue in my room right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a time for mood rings. I'm going to bring the mood <laughs> ring back for sure. And mine is burnt orange all the time. So that'll take a little something. Now, Wendy, you know, we've known each other for so many years. I mean, I remember calling you I at Rad Radcliffe when you were working there and saying, why don't you do like so many other of our friends. Why aren't you a full-time stand-up? Well, um, I had to have a day job. I, need, yeah. I didn't want to be a starving comedian. Oh, I know, I know. You did, it, you did it smart. But I didn't know that you wanted to be a therapist, though. Well, I went to school. I got my undergrad in psychology, and I, then I worked at um, Mass Mental Hospital doing psych research because I thought I wanted to go to graduate school in, and get my degree in clinical psychology. And then I realized I would rather make a hundred people laugh than one person cry. <laughs> and um, I mean, I'm being facetious. It just felt better to me to be in a room where everybody was laughing than me crying in therapy, even though I've been in therapy the whole time. Yeah, I just decided that wasn't the path for me, but I had always been like the RA and I was always a good listener. And so, you know, now that there's the pandemic, I'm thinking about just doing Zoom therapy without a, uh, a degree. <laughs> yeah, it's not, huh? it's not a bad idea. Well, everybody needs it right now. Self-care, you know, uh, how to be your own therapist. And I, I wonder, you know, I know that you've, if it's okay to talk about it, that you've dealt with depression in your life. Yes. How do you take care of yourself? Like, what do you do for yourself that works? You know, I start, when I started doing stand-up, I was very depressed, like clinically depressed. I think comedy, like laughing, actually laughing does help. I know they say it's good for uh, helping cancer patients, but I really do feel like the breathing element was revelatory in my depression. And now I'm just medicated. So it's like a spoonful of effects store. Speaking of lyrics and yeah, medication, I'm still medicated and I don't feel depressed anymore. Every once in a while I get that feeling and I go, okay, I can deal with this. I've tried yoga 
It is so much easier just to drink, though. I'm being funny. I'm, no, being, I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> no, but, it is. Uh, it is so much easier. Yeah, it's, I'm not it's, even a drinker. It seems so much easier. Breathing is a, is a big one. Breathing, and I ride an exercise bicycle every day for many mm. miles, and that helps too. Literally, getting a little sun every day helps. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do feel like breathing. I've, I have felt over the years, because I've been doing stand-up for like 35 years, I have felt that when people laugh together, it's so healing. Or just laughing alone is very healing. But when we laugh in a group, it's like healing exponentially. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that replaces that um, yeah yeah that's why i feel like like comedy and mental health go together because it's like the perfect thing it opens you up it makes you open when you're in that state you can learn things that's why i feel like comedians are the people who will bring the actual practice of mental health and make it popular i really believe that and so and i believe that since i was a kid because otherwise what am i doing here no absolutely yeah. because i think after after you either laugh or cry you're at a homeostasis you're like back to square one you're open to okay i can deal with this now um or i can start to deal with this now the the paradox is that when you do stand up a lot professionally it can change your laughter like you may not laugh as much or you may laugh you know differently but when i see somebody that i admire and when I see somebody that I admire, like you or Jonathan Katz or, you know, or Eddie Pepitone, Brian Kiley, Brian Kiley, people like this, when we watch, I love it so much. You know? So are you saying that you don't laugh the same way that you did before you did stand-up because you're a little jaded? Well, I did. When I was working a lot as a stand-up, I found okay. that my laughter became more like, ha! Huh? <laughs> became more like a karate chop. I, and I never used to do this. And I do it with my daughter all the time. And she says, why are you laughing at your own jokes? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm getting less sharp. Either I'm getting less sharp or I'm like learning to laugh at life or I don't know what it is. But, it, but I never used to do that. So it's a, it's a weird paradox. That's and I was, so interesting. And I, was, I you, you laugh. love to laugh. Yes. Yeah. I don't hold back. And to the point where my husband thinks it's annoying. <laughs> You're such a great stand-up. You're such a great writer. Thank you. So good. And, and so unique also, your style. Which, by the way, they talk about it's a gentle, paced, subtle wordplay style. I've never heard mm-hmm. anybody described like that. It's a hmm. gentle paced, subtle wordplay style. So did my mother say that? Your mother did. I talked to your mother <laughs> and she said, tell her it's gently paced. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. So what have you learned from doing so much stand-up that you have applied to how you take care of yourself or how you, how you deal with, with life? Well... That's an interesting question because I've been doing daily videos since the pandemic started. Lately, I've been talking about the four agreements. I'm not sure if you're, yeah, if you're familiar. Yeah, I know about it, but I've about. never read it. Yeah. Well, the four agreements are be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't assume anything and always do your best. So I talked about those for a couple of days, and then I started talking about what I, my agreements with myself, realized that I learned a lot from doing stand-up comedy that could be applied to real life. I'm not sure this answers your question directly, but some of the things I've learned are wear whatever you want. This is not a dress rehearsal, but I'm a work in progress. Don't forget to breathe and stand up. I know that seems simple. Pray that nobody throws anything at your head. And sometimes I'm great, sometimes I suck. Most of the time I'm fine. So all of those things are like, pertain to stand up, but also to real life. So what was your question? <laughs> uh, who killed Kennedy? No, this is the, this is the, this is the thing, this is the thing about, about 
all of these practices that Jennifer talks about that, that we talk about on the show, they're really pretty simple. Everything that's good about self-care is pretty simple. And that's why I have great hope for people actually be able, being able to practice it. Yes. And also what I wanted to say, you were talking earlier about humor. I really think humor equals or symbolizes a way out because especially like with a Brian Kylie joke where he switches, the, the punchline is so surprising that you go, oh, there's another way to think about this. And so that can be applied to problems or yeah, real life. And you, you have an interesting, your, your brain goes to a lot of different places. I know that you, that you have an inventor's mind also. Really? And, and, yeah. I mean, I remember <laughs> talking to you about some inventions and I remember talking to you about, oh. about different things. There was some story about a <laughs> hairbrush or a hot comb or some kind of, right? Right? Oh my God. In the eighties, when I was working at Radcliffe, I was talking to a friend and she was using mousse, the mousse product that makes your hair stiff. Yeah. And she didn't like touching it. So I thought, what if it came out the bristles in a brush. And so I wrote to L'Oreal and I heard back from them that it was like genius and they were all set to like go ahead. And then they found out that there was another patent that was very similar to it. But uh, that's hilarious. I don't think about that often because um, then somebody told me they saw it in a store once. But I also at that time invented uh, earmuffs with Walkmen in them. <laughs> they were called walk muffs because I used to wait for I used to wait for the tea. Yeah, I, I'd be freezing, but I would want to hear my Walkman anyway. Wow! Uh, but those are the only two things that I have invented. Although my sister and I did invent Oreo cookie ice cream when we were three and five, but we have no way to prove that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't copyright it when you're three, but you I should know. and your parents I should know. have jumped on it. Oh, they should man. have jumped on it. We were just so ahead of the curve. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, Jennifer, humor, you know, about the physical, the actual, you know, uh, physical properties, attributes of what happens when you laugh or even when you smile. Is that a part of what you do with kids and families? Does that yeah. ever come up? Because yeah, there's a lot, a lot of the people who see you, you know, they're going through some mm -hmm. serious stuff. No, humor is a big part of what I do, especially with the teens and the kids that I work with, but even with the parents, because really, and Wendy, it's funny, you said you want to be a therapist. You are one. Like, laughter is therapy, and you're absolutely right. When, it, when we're experiencing it as a group, it's even more powerful, right? It really connects us. And so when we are in a moment of pure laughter, where we're just, like, giving ourselves over to, to you know, being in that moment, oxytocin, which is a really powerful hormone slash neurotransmitter, it's known as the love drug. It's known as the tend and befriend hormone. It's the feeling when you see a chubby baby and you're like, oh, God, or you see a good friend. And it's that, that overwhelming feeling in your body. And the same thing happens when you laugh and you're really in a moment of what's called heart brain coherence, where you're just in sync, you're just aligned with a moment of joy. And that is medicine. It, it has an impact on your immune system. It strengthens the immune system. It speeds up neuroplasticity. There's so many benefits that oxytocin brings. And it's, it's what connects us to each other. So it, it, you know, it happens when we laugh. It happens when we hug. It happens you know, when, we, when we're you know, baby playing with our kids. And, and it, it's a really, really powerful um, bit of medicine. So as you talk to other people and you're communicating with other people, you, it's medicine. And, mm -hmm. and it literally is healing. So that's, that's the science behind it. And I think, you know, we walk around with cortisol and adrenaline you know, flooding through our bodies, especially, you know, during this time where everyone's really stressed out about all kinds of different things in the state of the world, paying attention to those moments where you're laughing, you know, where you're connecting with your friends, where you're in a moment of joy is as, as, as important as what you eat, right? And exercise really, really important that we're social beings. So we, we do well when we're connected with our people. So laughter is therapy. Absolutely. There's a mental diet almost. I, I mean, I hate to use the word diet, but there, there's a mental menu. You can of say nutrition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's mental nutrition. You know, I mean, 
look, if you want some mental nutrition, you go to me, you go to the Dick Van Dyke show and you go to the episode mm-hmm. where Laura's having a baby. The things that Dick Van Dyke does in that particular episode, it's called Where Did I Come From? I highly recommend that go to Hulu, look it up, go to YouTube. You'll just, you'll smile from ear to ear. Dick Van Dyke is my hall pass. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. No, that's No, I mean true. he. Him, period. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You've probably met him. I'm sure you've maybe more. Even more I have him. met him um, yeah. and thrilling, but my husband said that I could marry him if, if oh. Dick was into that. I think there is actually a study of laughter called gelatology. I don't know why I know that, but um, they actually study laughter. And I have one interesting or question or something to say. So, you know, I run, um, I've produced this stand-up show in California for the past five years until the pandemic called Locally Grown Comedy. And I had a comedian come on. And if he had not, if I hadn't introduced him as having been on late night television, like dozens of times, I think the audience would have thought, who is this homeless person? Should I be scared of him? So there's like a fine line between having somebody make you laugh and also trusting that person to make you laugh. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. if we hadn't trusted that he'd already been on TV, we might have been frightened of him. Yes, I uh, think. I that don't know it, where that fits into the conversation, but yeah, as well, Jennifer was trust, talking, I was thinking about that. Trust is a is a part of it, and you can see in the audience when they their physical bodies when when they're worried about somebody on stage, they kind of lean forward, and when they can relax, they literally sit back. And, uh, and you can see it happening. And, you know, and if somebody's beating themselves up on a stage and sort of out of control and nervous, but not attending to it, they'll get nervous for you. Or they'll, I've seen that too. Yes. Yeah, they'll be uncomfortable. And, and also, I think the audience loves the, the most appreciated thing I've seen on stage is when the comedian is just in the moment when they're responding to something that's happening. So you know that the comedian is not just reading a script. They could be like an actor. This is the funny person on stage. I think the best at that is Paula Poundstone, uh, Russell Peters. So that's because it's an inside joke with the audience. Like they're all in on that joke. And so they feel a part of that humor. And it's a, it's a moment of pride, I think. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's a really good observation that they're in on the joke and that you're, you're all sharing something as a community. Years ago, when TV first started, because I'm older than God, God was not, God was born a week after I was. Um, but, I, but years ago, the TV was invented as a shared experience where people would watch together and they'd watch it live. That experience was very different than than the one that we have now. That was like a shared serotonin that you'd have with your family or with whoever you were you were watching TV with. But the hosts, the people who were on TV, they would speak directly to you as if you were their friend. Like they could tell you things that they couldn't tell anyone else. And that was right. a style of a host. And then it sort of went away. But that style sort of comes back now with HGTV and with some of those kind of shows where people like watching them because originally when they started, it was, it was evidence of a human being. And that's the biggest right. statement that you can make on, in, in media is be a human being. Um, well, they're saying that Regis Philbin was the best at that. Rest oh, yeah. in peace. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember getting off stage once in Tahoe, and this woman said to me, she was like in her 80s, and she came up and she said, and this was the nicest compliment I've ever received. She said, I felt like you were just talking to me. Oh, yeah. So it was like a very personal, visceral connection. I guess that's what comedy is. It's connecting. Well, what we're both describing is, is connection, right? It's human connection, which we all crave. And that is brain food, right? That's emotional nutrition. That's what we all need. And yeah. I think if anything good has come out of this crazy time, it's how much we realize we miss each other and we miss being around each other. 
and we miss the you know authenticity and realness and that connection you know whether you're laughing in a group or or sitting around with your family watching something oxytocin is flowing and oxytocin is an incredibly powerful hormone that i think is essential to good mm -hmm. mental health it really is and i don't think we pay enough attention to it but it's really important well and the irony is is that our job as stand-ups, it's dangerous to do them now, but it's also so essential for people to laugh and to commune. So I've been trying to do Zoom shows, which is just the whole other challenge. But yes, I think it's just ironic that we need laughter and c connection more than ever. And it's really dangerous. But I was thinking too, when you were both talking about you know, comedians and how, because comedians are often very, very intense, right? And, and brilliant and can make incredible connections. That's what makes them funny on stage. But the brain's ability to make those connections and see those similarities and that's what makes you funny on stage, that can work against you. There's sort of an equal and opposite shadow to that. And your brain can go in the absolute opposite direction. So it's not unusual for comedians in particular, but artists in particular, to get depressed and, and be really anxious because that same ability can work, can work against mm -hmm. you. On stage, too, the other thing, if a comedian is angry, if they're bitter, if, there's, if it's coming from fear, if it's coming from a darker place, the audience will feel it. And only people who are super dark like that will find it funny. It's when it comes from a place of love, and, and that can be you know, being very real and and talking about real life things, but when when the comedian is aligned and it's for the purpose of you know bringing joy and comfort and, and entertainment to the audience, then the audience will respond. They'll feel it, and that's literally something chemically that's happening. Whether there's two people in the room or two thousand people in the room. Wendy, I always thought that you had a positive outlook. I always considered you you know a positive person. Is that true? Is that how you see yourself? I really do, and. I think that doing stand-up all these years has made me not need to do it as much, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like I've somehow healed a lot of whatever was missing. But yes, I am very positive. I don't know if you know I was hit by a car in 2018. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. So tell, tell us what you discovered and how you took care of yourself. I was never angry about it, Ed. I just, and it's not even like I thought, oh, everything happens for a reason. It was more like, okay, look, this happened, and now this is what's happening, and now how am I going to deal with this? I truly was never angry. I was always more relieved that I didn't hit somebody while I was driving, and that she didn't hit me closer to my spine or, you know, God forbid that she didn't run over me. So I, I always was optimistic. I always looked on the, the half full glass. Mm -hmm. Like I was always, it could have also been the Oxycontin, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have that in a Pez in your back pocket. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't Well, you know, I have to say they did put me on that and I can understand why there's the crisis, the opioid crisis because it really did relieve a lot. But I truly was very positive and my husband couldn't believe it. <laughs> wow. And 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 I was going to ask you now you I don't know if you're still if you're in therapy, but I know you've been in therapy. How are you in therapy as opposed to, you know, in life? How do you how do how are you in in a session? Um, I still am in therapy. I started when I was 16 and now I'm 59. And I haven't gone weekly all that time. There were, uh, and now I go once a month and I don't even go. I just call, obviously during the pandemic. But how am I? I am good. I, I don't really get depressed anymore. I started in therapy because I was anorexic. This was when I was 16. Unfortunately, I'm, I don't have an eating disorder now. I don't mean that it's funny, but I, I put on six pounds during the pandemic. Then I lost two, but it was mostly bone loss. But um, oh. these are jokes. Yeah, these are jokes, people. Self-motivation when you're in this isolated place 
is very, I feel like I'm swimming in quicksand a lot of the time. I feel like it takes me about eight hours to write my name. Like, I don't understand. Right. And then so other times I tap in and I've always been that kind of work, that kind of creator where, you know, it seems like tremendous procrastination. And then in four seconds, everything comes out. I feel like I needed an anchor or I need anchors in my day. I've never eaten or slept like a normal person. You would think at 59 years old, I would have that figured out by now, the eating and the sleeping thing. But I'll wake up anywhere between 6 a.m. and noon. I'm being serious and honest. As long as I make the bed, I feel like, okay, I've accomplished something. I also have been doing these daily videos and I've accomplished that. It's not even accomplished. It's just, I feel committed to these things. I feel committed to riding my exercise bicycle. It's having these little commitments each day that have kept me above water. It's interesting how that works. These are, again, just like we talk about mental health, that these are simple practices. The things that can connect you to, to like life and to the present and, and that Jennifer and I talk about, you're talking about they're not complex. You don't have to learn how to sail a boat. It's, it's just basic things that you deal with in the moment. I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the struggle that I've experienced in my life, of course, a lot of it's in my own head, is that I'm resisting something. I'm actually pushing back against something that I don't want to have. I'm so practiced at that. But I'm learning now to take little breaks from that to do a different practice, you know, and, and thinking about what's working and thinking about it could be as simple as something as closing my eyes and think about something that I love and, and smiling for a minute. It could be meditation. It could be yoga. It could be anything, really. But these are not complex things. They're not like, what do you mean you imagine something? You, you know, just the fact that people, that that's so foreign to people that, you, you know, when you're a kid, you can daydream and it's okay. But when you, as you get older, you're learning how to not be in the moment. You're learning how to not use your imagination. Why wouldn't you just automatically imagine great things? Like everything right. that, that we have in life is the result of an imagination, as you said last week, Jennifer. Well, and people are really good at using their imagination in the negative direction. <laughs> right. imagine all horrific things that are going to happen. Right. And I... Yeah. taking that skill and applying it to the positive and it's not going to be easy at first because your brain is going to say what are you doing what are you doing imagining things are going to be okay you're just going to be disappointed or you're just going to be in danger and it's really kind of every single day gaining a little bit of ground on that negative thinking until you've created enough neuropathways to do the opposite I wanted to also share that I made a vision board during the pandemic. Yeah. And it sounds uh, simple, but I just cut out words from a magazine, things like healthy and routine and nature and funny. And I just have it on my desk to remind me. And also I've read this woman's work. Her name is Sark. She talks a lot about money also. And she's like, you're going to be okay. And it's almost like not letting yourself think about the negative. It's what you were saying, Jennifer, about the red. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not going there. It's like you don't need to crowd your mind with all that negativity. So I recommend Sark. That's She's great. really, really That's a good beautiful um, And the hard, the hard part, too, is when you're, when you're so used to thinking in the negative, you don't even know you're doing it. So first of all, it's just being aware that you're doing it. And then not to get mad at yourself. Oh, look at me again, being negative. I know better. Like, it's, it's not about, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's interesting. There mm -hmm. I go again. There's just so much momentum in that direction. I'm just going to take a minute. Sometimes you can't go all the way to thinking about something really positive. Like, oh, I'm so lucky and I have a nice house and that's too far. And, and people who are very sensitive and who are deep thinkers then just end up feeling worse. Well, I have no reason to feel bad. So now I feel even worse and guilty that I feel bad. Right? So Sometimes you want to just take a neutral thought, like just something, think about butterfly. It doesn't matter. It sounds so silly, but get, focus on a, you know, flowers that you see outside your window or a, a, you know, your, the wallpaper you picked. It doesn't really matter. Just practice pulling your mind away from the negative. You don't have to scold yourself. You don't feel bad. You don't have to be nasty to yourself, but just take a moment and, and feel. And, and that's why I love with your vision board. Another thing you can do with that is you, you've got it there. It's there every day. Don't just look at it. 
feel it. Mm-hmm. Feel each word, mm-hmm. right? If you've got peace and freedom, whatever you've got written on there, just feel it. Imagine that you already have it. Let those words, which by the way are um, feelings and vibrations go with words. Like you can feel a word. Like if someone says bitch, you can actually feel it shock your body. Yeah. Right? And if I say chubby baby, there's a completely different feeling in your body. Yeah. Right? So words actually have a lot of power. Yeah, the, the vision board is lovely and put images on there too and really feel it. That's, you that's- help me with a practical problem. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Sure. If you so, want Jennifer to come over and work on your vision board, she is uh, available. From, from six feet away. Mm-hmm. How can I stop eating my weight in Cheez-It? <laughs> this is really important you're not alone Me too i know a lot of people stress eat oh they my god them. oh my god you're trying to feed yourself you're literally trying to feed yourself, you're trying to feed yourself. What, when a baby's crying what do they want they want milk right so it's it's built into us to soothe ourselves with something sweet with something warm with something comforting a lot of us are, are super sensitive and comedians really tend to be uh, exquisitely sensitive. So they feel other people's emotions. You can be in a decent space. You can walk into a room, someone's in a mood and you'll feel it. Mm-hmm. Let alone collectively what the world is kind of going through right now. Reaching for food, reaching for anything concrete that feels good makes sense. So the first thing I would suggest is when you get into a scarcity mode, I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't eat that. Or I'm being, I'm, I hate myself for eating that. When, All your limbic system understands is that you can't have that in that moment, which is going to trip off scarcity. And scarcity is the most terrifying thing to the human brain, that food is going to go away. I'm going to starve to death. The first thing is to say, I can eat those cheeses. I could eat all those cheeses if I wanted to. They're all there. They're all there sitting right in front of me. I just don't need to right now. Or I'm going to wait a few minutes. Address the scarcity part of it. Because the second your brain starts to think you can't have it, it's going to kick up that thing where you have to have it. And then as soon as you eat it, you're going to get a reward and that's addiction. Mm-hmm. So first of all, tell yourself there's no scarcity. You have a whole box of them. You can go to the store and buy a, you know, as many as you want. There's, nobody's going to take your cheese. its away. You can decide in that moment if you're going to eat them right then. And then try to shift your brain to thinking about something emotionally pleasant. Find something emotionally nutritious. Think about a lovely trip you were on or your kids or your dog, anything, things around your room. Take a little trip around your house or your garden and fill your brain and and literally feel in your body what you're looking at. Then go back and decide you want the cheeses. Okay. So have consciousness about it. Yeah. Yeah. And And really clear of the scarcity piece. That's the trick. That's what gets you. The limbic system is very powerful. And if it thinks, you, I gotta have it, what if I, I got, no, I can't, I, I'm not gonna eat it. Oh, but I really want just one. When, when you're triggering that, all the brain is registering is, I could be in a famine situation. This food could never be available to me again. And I could starve to death. So you're gonna go psychologically running for the cheeses. Or uh, that's a really good point. The scarcity is the thing that triggers the fight and flight, fight or flight. That's the biggest that's one really that's happening. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the and also you wouldn't punish someone who wanted comfort. No. And here's the add-on. What do you want the Cheez-Its for? Let's just think about this. And this is true whether you want to buy something, get on some show, whatever we think we want. It's a feeling that we're searching for. It's not the car we're dying to have. It's the feeling we think the car is going to give us, which is usually freedom, recognition, uh, joy. Think about what do you have already in your life that the Cheez-Its could give you? Where do you already have joy? Where do you already have freedom? Where do you already have satisfaction? Find it somewhere else and then decide if you want to go back to the Cheez-Its. So helpful. Oh, good. Really helpful. Yeah way that we think right these are we're so used to these habitual brain firings we don't even question it we don't even notice when we talk to our friends about it we're all talking this way you have to kind of be a renegade and just build these new like be a trailblazer and build these new thought patterns and it takes time you know we've all been thinking in these ways our whole lives so it takes a little bit of time to build enough neuro pathways and hardware in our brain to actually have a choice you have great awareness about things in your life. I mean, Wendy, you, you, you have such great awareness and articulation about comedy. 
just what you've said in this show alone, it's all there. It's just, it's just sort of shifting. And I have a, you know, listen, I, I've put on a lot of weight and I've been, haven't been exercising that much. And sometimes I get tired and I think that it's going to cause more fatigue to be conscious about stuff. So I'd rather mm -hmm. go numb because mm -hmm. numbness doesn't take any effort. Actually, numbness is very draining. It's very draining and it is, it does take a lot of effort. Yes, because you're holding back the emotion, right? So the more you push your emotions away, that's why Wendy, you said earlier and you were joking, but you said it's just easier to drink something, right? <laughs> it's easier to drink something. It's easier to pop a pill. It's easier to smoke something. It is in the beginning. But right. once you can do this all by yourself, now you have a choice, right? Now you can take action. So emotions are not terrible things. We've been raised to see them as these awful things that we have to run away from. It's just information. It's just your brain trying to tell you something and it's just your brain trying to save you. So the more you try to ignore the things that your brain's trying to do to get your attention, the bigger it's going to become. And the more you have to drink something or run away from it or hide from it or whatever else. So here's a really neat exercise. It's going to sound a little crazy, okay? but I love this one. I just invented this one actually. I've been using it myself and I really love it. So what you do is you imagine, this is all imagination here, that you're basically put on this planet just to experience what being human is all about. And you're like a tourist and you've bought your ticket and you've landed as whoever you are and you're here on the planet having an experience as Wendy and I'm having an experience as Jennifer and you're having an experience as Ed. So when things happen to you, you're just like, oh, isn't this interesting? This is me you know, feeling really hurt that my husband just said this or about the Cheez-Its or whatever it is, actually sit with it, register it as if you're like taking it in as information and feeding it back to the system. Okay, this is what this, this emotion feels like. This is how it feels in my body. Thank you, I've registered it, I've heard it, and I'm sending it back for review, right? And it sounds like such a ridiculous thing to be doing. But the minute you do that, you're changing your experience. You're now observing yourself having the feeling and acknowledging the feeling it rather than it overwhelming you or you having to ignore it. And it, it's such a simple technique, but it really, and it's almost like you're kind of moderating your life. If you imagine a narrator, oh, this is interesting. Here she is in the grocery store. She's in front of the Cheez-Its. She, she's having this feeling of like, I have to have them all. Like you can use humor with it, but you're observing yourself. And the very act of observing leaves your frontal lobe on, which is the part of the brain that regulates, inhibits, organizes, prioritizes, and takes perspective which immediately suppresses the limbic system whose job it is to save you. And it's a very simple technique. It's kind of fun to do. Your brain's busy anyway. I always say to people, you're already worrying and stressing anyway. So just use these techniques, which are probably take the same amount of energy, except you're going to feel so much better. Oh my God, I have goosebumps. Isn't that, isn't that great? That is so great. That's what I love about Jennifer. She always gives you these, these things that, you, that are creative that you can actually do. And How that's did you why find Jennifer? I found her because I'm not from this planet. <laughs> I was touring. Um, no, I, I really, honestly, well, we worked on something together and I immediately knew, oh my God, this is a very special person. So that's what it's about. I think that kind of thing, that's why I love Our Town, the play so much, because I love being the stage manager of your own life. And I right. think that you can really, you can really do that. And almost it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also... We need pauses in our life. We need to make a pause between the thoughts and the reactions that we have. And if you're doing things like this, you're taking a pause from that kind of activity, from reacting to every thought and every feeling and every, everything that's going on in your head. And within that pausing time, you start to heal. You start, to, mm -hmm. you start to feel better and you start to open up to possibilities. It doesn't take long. It takes a quarter of a second but it happens. And so that's, that's why I believe in, in this kind of, the kind of thing Jennifer's talking about. And, uh, and I, I guess we're going we're gonna to wrap up here unless anybody has, I was going to actually ask you if you had any extra Cheez-Its, but now <laughs> I feel badly no, about it. I have to go not eat Cheez-Its. Okay, but, good. Um, but I thought of funny things to watch. Yeah. You asked me earlier on. Yeah. So I love the movie The Jerk. Oh, and yeah. I love the series, and don't judge me, <laughs> Two and a Half Men. And I know it's misogynistic and crude sometimes, but it, doesn't, it never fails to make me laugh out loud. 
I think that that's amazing. And I think, and, and those are two things that I would never, if in a million years, if somebody came down for another planet, I'd say, what makes Wendy Liebman laugh? <laughs> I really wouldn't know. But I, but I think it's great. I think it's great. You know, you, you're, you're having an experience of joy. You're enjoying something. I've been watching Kimmy Schmidt with my daughter. Oh, I love that show. I have to say, I just love her, her innocence. Me too. And and, and also the references, it's innocence with such specific references of a specific time. And it just, it drives me crazy. I love it. It just it's makes me brilliant. laugh. brilliant. Yeah. For I think that that's her, that's her big, you know, as great as 30 Rock was, and it was amazing. That show is really the creativity of. Uh, I never saw the, her on 30 Rock. Yeah, I didn't watch it a lot. Oh, oh, wait. You mean um, uh, Tina Fey? Tina, Tina Fey. Fe oh, yes, yeah. I as totally a, agree. Yeah, as I a totally creator, agree. this is her. This is her. Her level of. Creativity. I thought you meant the Office. I thought you meant the actress who plays Kimmy Schmidt, who was also on The Office. I never yeah. saw her there. This is the first time I saw her. I just love that show. Yes, it's her innocence. It's, it, it, it's and a, Carol Kane is. Oh, uh, it's wildly creative. Wildly creative show. I can't thank you enough for taking the time, first of all. And it's just great to talk to you, period. My pleasure. I'm so happy that I got to spend some time with you. And now I have some tools to take away from Jennifer. And this has been great. Okay, well, give my, give my love to Jeff, too. and He sends his back. And, 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 and take it easy, take care, stay well. And please, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, please subscribe. Find, wherever you get podcasts, find us, subscribe. We're building a lot of, a lot of social media. You're going to see a lot more uh, coming out about the show. In the meantime, subscribe and share. I found people have listened to this, and they've actually told me that Oh, I heard Jennifer, you know, talk about something and a technique. I used it. It actually worked. I've used techniques that Jennifer's talked about, and they've worked. So keep coming back. It works if you work it. For Jennifer Kalari, I'm Ed Krasnick. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>